Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, the 24th of October, 2020. Recently, I took my boys to a local trampoline park, indoor trampoline park here in the Boise area. And man, we had a great time. My two boys were just uh, jumping around, having a great time. I was bouncing them around. Fun was had. By all. And one thing that you see there at the trampoline park, they'll have lots of different places kind of with these foam pits, you know, or these, these big areas, but it's a pit full of these foam blocks. And so you can jump off a trampoline, you know, as, as high as you want into this pit of foam, or they've got some obstacle courses there over the foam, over the foam. And one thing my son Mac was really wanting to do was swing off this rope into uh, the foam pit, right? And he just wanted to swing and just let go and just fall into the blocks of foam. And it was, it was a fun time. And when you think about it, when you're swinging or you're jumping over that pit, you are setting your hope fully on that pit, right? You are trusting there is going to be a soft landing. And with lots of them, I mean, there's no, the right way isn't to, you know, kind of creep in and test the waters. It's just to fling yourself into this pit, trusting that it will catch you and you will land softly. That image of setting your hope fully uh, is one that we see in our revival from the Bible reading today as we look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. And it starts off there in the first verse saying, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's that idea, set your hope fully. And that's what we talked about yesterday. We have a reservation. We have an inheritance that cannot perish, cannot be defiled, can't fade away. None of those things, it's waiting for us. And now today there's the therefore, hey, set your hope fully on that. And even there's another image in there, preparing your minds for action. If you have the English Standard Version, there's a footnote at the bottom that says, girding up the loins of your mind. And if you think about soldiers back in the day, you know, they'd be wearing tunics that, I mean, they weren't wearing jeans or or pants or trousers like we think of them today. It'd be a more uh, kind of flowing garment. And so when they would get ready for battle, instead of letting this garment kind of flow around their legs where they might trip, if they're trying to run, they would kind of tie it up around their waist, get ready for battle. And that's kind of the image here. Get, Get ready for battle and set your hope fully on that soft landing that you are, you know, you're going to have in this reservation and this living hope that you have. And as he develops that imagery, there are two real specific commands that I want us to focus on in the rest of the chapter. And one really is a call to holiness, a call to holiness. It says there, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Hey, because of this grace that we know is coming, let's lean into that, right? Let's not tiptoe into the foam pit. Let's fling ourselves into it. And one way to do that is by pursuing holiness with an abandon, right? That I want to be holy like my father is holy. 
The other command there we see starting in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So let's think about what we talked about yesterday. Let's keep our minds on that living hope that we have in Christ, on that reservation that we have waiting for us for an eternity in heaven with him. And because of that, let's fling ourselves into holiness and let's fling ourselves into loving others. And let's realize that having a mindset that isn't thinking about heaven, but a mindset that's thinking too much about right here, right now is going to hinder us, right? A lot of temptation that we face towards sin. That's what it's all about. It's trying to get us to think about right here, right now, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And what keeps us from loving other people, often it's our our selfishness and, and us thinking about what we want right here, right now. But no, let's set our hope fully on that eternal landing that we are going to have in glory. And then therefore, let's fling ourselves into pursuing holiness and to loving others. And I want you to think today, if there's any particular temptations that you are facing, that, that you need to realize, no, I need to set my hope fully on the grace that is to come. And so I don't need to give into this temptation right here, right now. And think about relationships, maybe where you might be struggling, struggling to love someone else and say, you know what? I don't need to think at all about what I can get from that person or what that person is doing to me. I'm going to set my hope fully on the grace that I'm going to receive at that reservation for eternity with Christ in heaven. And I'm, that frees me up to love that other person. And this whole future mindset, that, that's something that we see also as we turn now to Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah 32, where we see Jeremiah is told to buy a field and we see he's kind of perplexed. Um, God, haven't you been using me to prophesy disaster upon Judah and Jerusalem? So what's with What's with the, you know, telling me to buy a field? That that seems to not jive with the rest of what you have been telling me. And he he prays even and he asks God and God answers starting in verse 26. And he basically says, yes, Nebuchadnezzar is going to capture this city. They're going to burn this city. It is going to be bad. And this is to, uh, this is justice for the sins of these people and all the wicked things that they have done. He talks about the abominations that they set up in the temple. He talks about their altars to Baal and offering up their children to Molech. He talks about all these things, but then he says that he is going to gather the people again to this country. He's going to bring them back. They're going to dwell in safety. And so that's kind of in verse 44, he says, field shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. And that's really, he's describing a lot of the geographical areas around Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been kind of on the border of the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And then you'd have the hill country, the Negev to the south. The Shephelah is kind of this area of rolling hills um, down towards the Mediterranean Sea. And he's saying, no, there's going to be blessing. People are going to be buying land here eventually. So there we, we see God kind of telling Jeremiah, hey, I want you to set your hope 
on me fulfilling, yes, my words for judgment, but yes, also my words for restoration. And he encourages Jeremiah with that today. Let's turn now to Psalm 119, where we look at verses 89 to 96 today. Lamed is the Hebrew letter today, and it begins, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. And by your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. And there he reminds himself first of just God's creation. And just even God's faithfulness and that nothing can change that. All things are your servants. And then we see, though, his commitment to God and even a plea for God to save him. Verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. And I think there's just a good reminder for us there that even though the wicked in the world can feel like they're putting so much pressure on us, We serve a God that has created everything, and he is faithful from generation to generation. His word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And even I'd encourage you to look at the ways the opinions of man change. I mean, even we're in the midst of a presidential election right now. Look at how much, you know, what people say changes from year to year right? And even there's cultural pressure on a lot of progressive issues right now that there wasn't barely even any conversation about some of these things, even as recently as 10, 20 years ago. We're living in a different world now. Look how the world and its opinions change. God's word is forever fixed in the heavens. So don't let the world pressure you into its system. Trust the God whose word will never change and the God that will always be faithful. Now, finally, we want to look at John chapter 5, verses 18 through 29. And I mentioned yesterday, really that last verse where he says, I am working and my father is working. It's really referring, it's a claim of equality with God. He's saying, just like God is always working, God doesn't stop being God and stop upholding the universe on the Sabbath day, I also am working. And I think we miss that sometimes because we miss the connection to the whole controversy with the Sabbath. But as we pick it up today in verse 18 and read through verse 29, we see that his audience clearly caught what he was saying. Verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, by the way, he wasn't actually breaking the Sabbath. He was just breaking their traditional interpretation of the Sabbath, side note. Um, But he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. By calling God his father, by saying he is working like his father, he was making himself equal with God. And then in verse 19, Jesus says, whoa, 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 guys, you're clearly misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm not claiming equality with God. No, that's, that's not in any English translation. That's not what it says. Jesus, he does not back down from what he claimed. In fact, he doubles down. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. 
So here we clearly see Jesus, he doesn't back down, he doubles down. And he says, no, I do the exact same things the father does. He is establishing that claim to equality with God. And one thing that is important that we believe is the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And the the gospel of John is a great place to go to, to find passages that teach that. And we think of passages like John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Clearly it's talking about Jesus. Or we think of the end of Roman, or sorry, John chapter eight, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, which I don't think there's any way around that being a clear claim to deity and even a clear claim to preexistence. But this passage was one of maybe the hidden gems that I wouldn't have thought of off the top of my head about the gospel of John ahead of time, but a clear claim of Jesus asserting his deity, that when they accuse him of claiming equality with God, he basically says, you're exactly right, and goes on to defend that claim. So we believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and John chapter 5 is just one of the many passages that uh, give us a reason to believe that. And we believe that he is God. That that gives us confidence that his sacrifice for our sins was effective. Our sin is complete. And so now we can set our hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to us when Jesus Christ comes back. So that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Fling yourself into holiness and into loving others because you know there's a soft landing coming. You know you have a reservation for eternity with Christ in heaven. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.